Hi, my name's Mandy Walker. I'm the cinematographer of Elvis, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Mandy Walker, the director of photography for Elvis. We have a great interview on the way for you guys. I absolutely loved Elvis, and you'll be able to tell when you hear the interview. I certainly fanboy, uh, and Mandy's just fantastic on the air, so you guys will love this one. Thank you to all of uh, all of our listeners who provided questions for the show. We certainly talk a lot about those questions, and we really thank you for the support. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. Of course, Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, everywhere you go, your favorite podcast app. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And with that, let's dive into our interview with Mandy Walker, Director of Photography for Elvis. Welcome, Mandy Walker, to the Go Creative Show. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm sure you're extremely busy, so we, we really value your time. Oh, no worries. I'm really happy to be I am extremely busy. I'm in New York right now, and I'm just about to travel back to L.A., and then London. I'm all over the place. Oh, my God. Well, congratulations are in order. I mean, uh, the, no, the Oscar nomination is obviously warranted and well-deserved, but still, you must be like, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. I keep pinching myself because I can't believe it. And and I'm so excited and proud of the movie. I mean, already, you know, it's an honour to be working with Baz, who's an incredibly credible visionary and great collaborator. And then just to be recognised like this is icing on the cake. It's fantastic. What did it feel like? Like, I, we, we don't often get an opportunity to talk to somebody just right in that window. Like, you're still in the glow of the whole thing. What did it feel like to get that nomination for you? Well, I was home on my own and my my daughter was in New York and my husband was in Australia and we we're all on a Zoom together for the nominations at 5am and me in my pyjamas. And when it happened, I just started running around the lounge room saying, yeah, 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 by myself. But, you know, we're all, all there to congratulate. They were there to congratulate me on Zoom. But it was just, like so exciting and, and I was was still you know shocked and but very proud to be nominated by my peers you know it means a lot to me yeah it it, it must just be an overwhelming feeling but you you must have when you watch the film working on the film seeing it all together you must be like damn i'm good <laughs> like i i made this thing really really nice <laughs> well you know what i am so proud of our movie i'm really incredibly proud and it yeah it is for me it, it's it's like you know my the achievement that I'm most proud of in in my whole career, and I mean it's like my twenty first feature film or something like that, and you know I put my heart and soul into it, and and it's great to be recognised like this, you know. I was wondering, I I saw Elvis on a flight coming back. I did not, unfortunately, I did not get the chance to see it in the theater, which is like once you've seen it, you realize, wow, what a mistake that was. I should have <laughs> ran out to the theater, but. I mean, it's just, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. And I'm watching it, I'm thinking to myself, like, who else could have even made this movie? It seems tailor-made for your, you and Buzz together. Like, th this was for you. And I was actually curious, like, what was it like in the run-up to actually getting this job? Well, um, this is my fourth collaboration with Baz. And we've, so really, we've been working together for 20 years. 
And I started work, the first time we worked together was on the Chanel No. 5 uh, little films, they are not commercials, with Nicole Kidman and then I shot Australia with him and then we did another Chanel Number no. 5 campaign and then this. And Baz always gets me involved really early on. So when he called me, he'd been working on the film for actually 10 years researching, which is pretty amazing, and living at Graceland for a year and a half. And uh, he, so he calls me really early. It was like nine months before we started pre-production. And, you know, we got together and met up and we started talking about researching. And then he, he showed me the script and we talked about the story and how he wanted to represent this story of Elvis to the world. Um, so then I, I started working from then and I was there at Austin's audition with my... Um, little Leica camera starting with Stills camera walking around and, and starting to look at angles on him as Elvis, like that early. And this is months and months before we started any official pre-production. Um, so he he does get me involved very early. And, and in that sense, he, you know, he's a great collaborator because everybody's there very early on. The editorial team, the production design team, costume and hair and makeup, everybody gets called in and we start testing and and start um, throwing ideas around and meeting up. And, and so it's, it's quite a long but very fruitful um, pre-production period. And then I started looking very early on about lenses and I went off to Panavision and I talked to Dan Sasaki, who's the lens guru there, who um, is incredible at kind of understanding um, aesthetically what lenses do on a movie. And and so then I brought Baz in and we talked to him about story and then we ended up deciding to go with spherical lenses for the first half of the movie and then we went to anamorphic once um Elvis goes to Vegas. Yeah, let, let's talk about that decision because, um, you know, as you're watching Elvis, you see a lot of different looks. You see vintage looks. You see more kind of modern looks. You see anamorphic, spherical. It's all over the place. So talk to me about your strategy for lens selection and camera selection on mm -hmm. the film Elvis. Mm -hmm. So um, we also, I'll start with camera then. We, we I remember very early talks, we were throwing around whether we should shoot on film and because we thought it was maybe more have a period feel. But then uh, we both decided that working with digital gave us more freedom because we could manipulate the images more. We could start with something cleaner. We could put LUTs on top of it on set. You know, we could, where you can't do that on film. You have to set that after, you know, you have to set a very, a very strong look you have to do in the DI and you have to do in the colour timing, whereas we wanted that to be on set. And then... We both looked at each other, I remember, and saying, well, what, what's the, you know, Elvis has an epic life and what's the most epic way to cover that? And um, for me, that was a Lexus 65. We shot 65 mil. So because it gives you scale and, you know, amazed, like the, the shots of, on stage at the, at the um, international showroom, that epic vision of, the widescreen and as big a format as we could go. But that camera also gives you um, intimate moments because it has a lower depth of field and you can go, when on our close-ups, I could really throw the focus out in the background and make it all about eyes or, you know, face and 
And so I like that camera for that reason. And so the lenses, when I was doing my research into the time periods to represent the time periods to an audience, uh, I felt like shooting spherical, which would took us through the 50s and the 60s, was the best way of representing that. And so for the 50s, um, I was looking at, uh, obviously, movies for the time, from the time, but one of the biggest influences I found was... Um, a couple of photographers, Gordon Parks and Sol Leiter, who and and Gordon Parks was a photographer during the civil rights movement in the South, and shot around Memphis and in very similar locations that Elvis grew up in. And the color palette that he used, and the composition that he used, I felt that those lenses lended themselves to that. And so uh, then that took us into Hollywood and the sixties. And then again, I put on a very strong lookup table, which was very high contra higher contrast, very saturated colours that represented that Hollywood period of his life. And then Vegas, I felt, was anamorphic. You know, that when he, what people feel in the seventies is that you know the the flares from the lights, the horizontal flares. But on both of those sets of lenses, I had them sort of detuned to look more like the period that they um, represented. And, for instance, on the, the anamorphic lenses, because modern anamorphic lenses now are quite clean and pristine, and a lot of the aberrations of the early iterations of those lenses have been taken out. So I had them all put back in. I had the edges softer, the flares. I put more colour back into the flares. I changed the shape of the bouquet. And and they went through, all the lenses went through like about, I think about three iterations before they were right or what we, we felt like they were um, giving us exactly what we wanted. But if, every time we tested, we would do tests with um, elements from the art department, with costume, makeup and hair and um, anything we possibly could think of that was a representative of the, the sequences that we we're going to shoot. So, and some of the tests that we did are in the movie. Um, you know, they, they, they're in part of the montage and, and we didn't redo them. So it was, it's all about like getting the color palette right and the textures right. The lighting, I was testing my lighting at the same time. And, um, and, uh, the, we, uh, Sorry, my daughter's just walking around. <laughs> I saw a, a ghost appear in the background. Oh, yes, she's in the mirror. Um, <laughs> and and uh, anyway, and um, so, you know, working with Baz, that all these elements are, are very integral in, in, in creating the images and creating the story to an audience. So we make sure that they're all spot on and we're all in harmony which I think is a very important part. That's what I wanted to ask you because with so many formats, with so many different types of lenses, so many looks, it, it, there is still a consistent feel throughout the film. And that is certainly not by accident. So I guess what are some of the th qualities of the lenses or the lighting or the things that you can do that let people understand you're in a different time period, you're in a different place, but also bring a cohesion across the whole movie? Yeah, I'm glad you say that because that means that we've achieved what we set out to do. Yeah. Um, I, it was about, a lot of it's about transitions and um, 
also, you know, but as you were saying, we put on quite strong looks as we were going along that we felt represented the era, you know, because there's kids, 10-year-old kids watching Elvis now, and you know, a friend of mine keeps sending me these videos of the 10-year-old kid. He's seen it about 20 times and loves it. But it's sort of introducing it to a new audience as well. But then there's the, you know, the older audience that remember that period of time and how we truthfully tell that to them. So the thing I think that, that Baz does really well, and it's also with music, is to kind of make it cross-generational because young little young kids are introduced to Elvis. Teenagers are loving, you know, the... Um, the new artists that are singing like Doja Cat and Eminem and um, uh, Maniskin are doing. And and then there's people like my parents who are 87 who've seen the film four times at cinema because they remember Elvis. So I feel like that sort of thing is was like a juggle that, 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 that I think worked really well. But that, like you say, I think that, all the transitions between each period and the crossover of the periods and the, you know, the split screen versions that we did of of some of the, um, at the concerts were really meticulously planned. And the, I'll tell you um, one, the three things that Baz said to me when we first started shooting about the camera was the camera has to dance with Elvis. Mm. When he flies we have to fly with him. And in the quiet, really dramatic moments, we have to slow down and be very elegant and observational. And so... So how do you interpret that when you get yeah, that direction? Exactly. I, I think a lot of it comes from how you feel emotionally in each of the scenes for the character. And then the, the other thing for me was... Um, how to integrate them together because when we shot the concert sequences for a start I had my team uh, get to be very familiar with the songs and we went and rehearsed with Austin and we we were rehearsed when he was rehearsing the choreography first of all we'd just be on stage with him like with little reference cameras like with the uh, Baz and I with our little Likers and we used Artemis to, to the program to line up shots and just observe. And then we had the cameras on stage with him rehearsing. So we were dancing with him physically. And he it was good for my team because they were very familiar with the way he was going to move because he did exactly the same thing every time. But also to make Austin feel comfortable with us being there. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a camera that's going to come from 50 feet away and, and land right there in front of his face at a certain moment. So he knew that was going to happen. Um, and then there's the drama that's going on at the same time. And, and and I'll just say that the concert scenes Baz called train spotting, which meant that what we had to do was match exactly the existing footage that you can see mm. of Elvis now. You can go online and you can see um the the showroom concert on That's the Way It Is. There's a documentary. You can see that NBC show the 68 special comeback special oh, yeah. so i had to replicate them exactly with camera angles with lighting but then in the background there's always drama going on with the colonel you know up in the control room or in the vegas showroom for his first show he's there selling elvis for the next five years so we just went through and and i was always very conscious of how the drama 
would integrate into the concert sequences. And again, it was just very well rehearsed and planned. And we would, Baz and I would work, walk around by ourselves all the time, every time the sets were finished and sort of talk about coverage and blocking and, and then the actors would come and then we'd watch what they were going to do and integrate. So the day before or the night before or on a weekend, so that when we turned up on set, everybody knew what was going on. Yeah. And and there was, um, like, as you say, that, that we had to have a plan also with um, editorial, like that all that split-screen footage, we had to know where it was sitting on the screen so that the actor would be facing this way on this side and then this way on this side and that sort of thing. And I think because it's such a huge tapestry, this movie, as you say, of, of different periods and looks and times and emotion, um, we had to have a plan because we had, I mean, we shot in 93 days, which I think is pretty quick for a film of this scale. It seems like um, there was a lot of prep. It seems like you had an unusual, well, maybe it seems unusual, you know, just based on conversations I've had with other cinematographers to have you there on the casting day is very unusual. So it seems yeah. like you, you, it, it's the, it's the old adage of fixing it in pre-production, <laughs> getting everything done. Exactly. I mean, it really pays off to be prepared. And then the other thing, you know, the flip side of that is that if you're so well prepared and we get what we gone, we've gone into plan, you know, we've we've executed our plan, and then Baz and I will be standing there and we have this shorthand, and we'll look at each other and we like something. Austin's done something, and it's sort of a little bit special, or we've seen an angle that we hadn't thought of. And we both look at each other and we go, "We have to get that." Hmm. So it's about being planned, but also being open to riffing as well you know and and to see something and and be able to to jump if something special happens or we see something we hadn't planned or he does something we haven't planned that's that's going to be um a beautiful angle or or another shot that we hadn't seen so you know it's that if if you're really well prepared you're open to be able to do that and then we we'd have time because we were um on schedule well i i well, that's a really important logistical thing is you've got to be on schedule. You are very angry crew members and very angry producers. Um, I wanted to ask you about the rigidity of cinematography. Like famously, Fincher is known for being extremely rigid, extremely specific about what he wants in his films. And cinematographers, you know, come out of working with him feeling almost like it was a boot camp in some way. And it, it generally changes them in positive ways, and I'm sure negative and positive ways, uh, just like any experience. Um, when I'm hearing you talk about how much planning went into Elvis, and I'm watching it, it actually surprises me a little bit because, first of all, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not super up to speed with Boz's career and how he works with his cinematographers, but I'm interested to hear that there was so much pre-production. Not that it doesn't seem like there was, but it seems like the camera is so free in the movie. It seems so free, and it seems just as wild and free and rebellious as Elvis himself. And to to hear that there was very little improvisation, and maybe I'm incorrectly interpreting that but it seems like you didn't rely as much on improv as i thought you would because of the way the movie feels i think it's um i i think what what i'm probably trying to say is that you know we did do that that like i said the planning we executed our our ideas and then we did go what we called riffing 
And mm. each time we did performance, we did that every time. Like we would do our planned shots and our planned coverage and our train spotting angles that were meticulously locked down. Mm. Um, but there's also the dancing with the camera, as I say, the camera dancing with, with Austin. And we would do that every time. And, and also, you know, once you get, once my team are really kind of get the vibe of each of these um, scenarios, they're, they're in the moment. Do you know what I mean? And then the crane guy can be swinging the crane around to the song and something that we hadn't planned. And the, it's funny because um, when we did the international showroom, the first show in Vegas, yeah, uh, and we built that whole set, that's a set, Opening night, you're talking about? Yeah, the opening night. Yeah. That that set is on on a, on a soundstage, huge set with the big gold curtain. We built all of the backstage area and the side of the stage area in the wings, and a third of the audience were were in camera, and then it was extended in post. The the other two thirds of the audience. So it was big. Uh, the third of the audience. We're talking like there was about four hundred people there. Oh my God. And um, once we'd done that. And, and we actually shot it in one take. So I didn't mean we only did it once, but each time we, we, we shot him coming from back behind stage and going onto stage, we did a 20-minute take and he performed the, the whole concert. Wow. The, and the four songs that we were going to shoot. And, um, and the grip, one of the grips who'd worked with um, Baz for like 20 years and, you know, he's one of those Aussie, old Aussie favourites of ours, he came up to Baz and he said, oh, you know, Baz, I just have to tell you that, you know, I've done Matrix and Star Wars and, you know, big, huge films. And he said, but I've never experienced anything like this. And he said, mm. I'm standing there, you know, bopping away, standing next to the crane. I think I shook the camera once and, you know, I just couldn't help myself. I felt like I was at the concert. So I think that thing of, of Baz getting everybody in the moment and being part of this experience really shows in the film. And and like I was saying, then he can say, um, you know, okay, we've got everything we want, we're going to riff now. And I tell my cameras, we have five cameras there at that concert. I could say, okay, everybody, we're going to dance now. We're going to riff. We're going to find angles. And, you know, so we'd walk around and plot different things and then let the cameras go handheld on stage and I think that you feel that everybody is involved you know it, it, people aren't feeling like they're being told something like they're a robot you know they're in the moment they're part of the process and he he does that on set like a conductor you know he, he'll have a megaphone and he'll be you know talking to every crew member and making them part of it and and I think that that really shows no. When you're assembling your crew for Elvis, specifically the crew that you know is going to be shooting the the concert scenes, yeah. are you are you being specific? Are you being selective about camera operators that have concert experience? Because that was that an important quality in their skill set for you? Well, it wasn't actually. I mean, it was the first time I've done a concert film and a musical. <laughs> um, it's more for me because every time I do a movie. Um, it's pretty much a different, you know, a different set of um, challenges for me. And this one was doing a big musical. And I remember, I, I for me, I get people that I know are going to be collaborative with me, are going to want to go on a journey with me. 
and discover stuff and also be enjoying the moment of, of, of doing something exciting. You know, that's my criteria. And also I get people that as much as I can that I've worked with before that I know can be on the same page with me pretty quickly and understand the um, the requirements. So I got, I, I've worked with a lot of Australians that I've worked with before because that's, you know, I've done, shot a lot of movies there. And I remember one instance, like what you say, is um, in pre-production, uh, the gaffer, Sean Conway, who I've worked with like on six films, he and I were looking at the, the big concert scene, you know, and, and, and we had to replicate that showroom and over different periods of time. And then it had to turn around and turn, turn into another stage set up for Burning Love, a whole lot of different sequences for that. Um, and I remember him saying, look, you know, maybe we should get in some concert lighting designers, you know, that that, the, that work in theatre that do this all the time. And then we went home, we both went home, and then the next morning I went, we can do this. And he goes, yes, we can. <laughs> and we both had that same, like, this is a big challenge for us, but, hey, we're going to do it. And we did. And so I feel like I just get people that are like me, that love that challenge of of the art and doing something special and doing something that we haven't done before. So it's more a personality as well as being obviously the great technician. So, you know, I, I, I get that, that people that are like that. Let's talk about the Vegas hotel room. Um, yeah. It in and of itself goes through such an evolution over the course of the film. Um, you know, it appears after he's in Vegas, obviously. So it's, you know, midway or so through the film. But it gets darker. It gets wilder. It gets more dangerous. It becomes a place you just don't want to be. Like the room gets sick throughout the film. Yes. Um, can you talk to us about the way that you lit that space and filmed that space to kind of give it that story arc? Mm -hmm. That um, I'm, I'm glad that you're asking me these questions because, you know, Ben, it's exactly, it means I've achieved what I set out to do if you're feeling that from yeah. those moments. Um, well, the very first time... There is the, there is an arc, as you say. The very first time you see the International Hotel is when the colonel opens the hospital um, blinds, the hospital curtains. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Him in the distance. And there's a light shining on Elvis, bouncing, the sun's bouncing off the front. There's a light. This is like something special. It's sort of like, ah. And in, in my mind, that moment for him. And then, you know, we go through times, as you say, because he was stuck in that hotel room for years. And there were, I think there was one year he did something like over 400 shows in one year. Wow. So he was doing two shows a day, seven days a week, um, sometimes two shows a day, not every day. But um, so it was sort of about him being um, caught like a bird in a cage. And as time went on and he realised there was no escape and he was literally caught in a trap, you mm. know, as 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 his um, song, the lyrics of the song say. So for me it was letting the audience know that um, it was slowly closing in on him and it comes to a head when you see that uh, one of the very last scenes where his dad comes to his room and, and then... Elvis realises there's no way he's leaving the colonel. He's stuck for the rest of his life. So you see the lights dark. For me, it was um, 
is sitting at the piano in the dark in the room, but the lights of Vegas are still shining on him. The, the effect of the glitz and the glamour, it's still there. He, he's, he's never going to escape that. And even when he stands up, again, it's one of those scenes where the camera is very slow and elegant and observational. That was my third, you know, style of um, expressing the story. And as he walks around and closes the curtains, it gets darker and darker and darker, and then he turns on all those TVs. And because Elvis did do that a lot, he had televisions going all the time, and they were all on different channels and like a cacophony of, of you know, um, of different images. And that's so that's what that was like his comfort zone. And he just sits in the chair and just lets the TV wash over him. And so that for me, lighting wise and camera move was how to express that. Whereas before, you know, it's about the shining light and then now it's about the darkness. There's also something interesting and maybe I'm reading too far into it, but I felt it while watching it is that in his earlier years, um, Everything felt sunlit. Everything felt bright, um, positive, hopeful. It was like the most natural light at the beginning and the most artificial light at the yeah. end, all yeah. the way down to just a grainy, gross TV. Yeah. But at the same time, there's you understand the appeal. like you, And it's not just the appeal to work for money. There is mm -hmm. something about the lights and the glitz of Las Vegas that can draw you in. I mean, it there's something about that. And you always when you watch the film and you see, you know, how horrible the colonel was and you you learn more about Elvis's experience, you can also sort of see how he became um mesmerized by it. Yes. Yeah, you know, it, it's very interesting you say that cuz that goes back to the very beginning of the film. When 10-year-old Elvis is in Shake Rag in Tupelo with his friends running around and they go to the Duke joint mm. and they see Big Boy Crudup playing the guitar and the sexy dancing. And for me, that vision for him is kind of preemptive of his future because there's Again, the the sexy dancing that he was watching, the the musician, the the feel of the music, the song, because he ends up playing that song himself. But it was also the light. Like there's shafts of there's no lighting in 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 that um, shed. It, there was just shafts of sunlight coming in. But I had it so they were little spots of follows, like little spotlights that were like a nightclub, and. Mm -hmm and creating that image for him. And, and then when he goes to the Pentecostal tent, the same thing I did, like I had shafts of sunlight coming in and there was a spotlight on him. When he has that moment where he gets taken by the spirit and he falls into the arms of parishioners, there's a beam of light on him. And that was for me like a preemptive of his future. And and so the light is a really important thing and a really important part of, of the journey for him. And he was a star and here, you know, this is his journey to becoming a star and already he's feeling that. And, and as you say, the very beginning of the film is much brighter and lighter. For instance, when they go to Graceland and the colonel comes in and with the merch, you know, and mm. there's colour and there's... There's objects everywhere and the lounge room is filled with things. I wanted it to feel really bright and colourful and um, hopeful. You know, hopeful, yeah, exactly. And then obviously as the, the time goes on, 
it gets darker and darker. And, and even in Graceland, you know, the scene where um, Priscilla leaves Elvis, he's again in a dark room and she opens and puts a light on him and, and, and wakes him up and then we realise that she's leaving and he's left on the stairs in just a single shaft of light coming from the door. So it's very emotive, I think, and important, those moments. Do you have a favourite scene or favourite shot? Um, oh, so hard. Um, I yeah. think my favourite scene is the first concert at the International Showroom because for me it was my biggest challenge. When I read that script and went, okay, I have to reproduce this huge <laughs> lighting setup and <laughs> I have to make it exactly what it was the color it, because you know everyone like me and I'm sure like everybody the moment that movie is over first yes. thing you do is go yes. online and yes. you start looking at the performances it's just exactly. it's human nature you can't help it I know and I know like a lot of people have been doing um you know side by side mashups with with the each of the sequences the same for the 68 special and so I feel like for me that is a big achievement in my career to to have done that. And the other thing was, you know, the thing for lighting was I had to reproduce the lighting of the TV studios, the outdoor Russwood concert, which we shot indoors, you know, the one where he sings Trouble and he gets dragged off stage. Um, I had to integrate period lighting with my own LED lighting if I could because... Uh, uh, lights were going to be in shot, so they had to be old lighting fixtures that we found and fixed and the art department would repair them and, and we'd have them, like, in, in the frame. But also I didn't want that lighting to be the lighting that hit him all the time. I, I integrated LED lighting to make it a bit more complementary, to have more control. And to, because if you use those old lights from the 60s TV station, they're very harsh and, you know, it had big, big dark shadows under his eyes and not complimentary. So there was kind of a dance that I did where to replicate the look of it but to make it a little bit nicer and a bit more cinematic and a bit more, more modern um, was, you know, I just kept testing and testing until I got that bit right. But for me to be able to use LED especially at the showroom, was important because I could dim them from a dimmer board and I could control the colour and and be able to flip around because when we were doing the different concerts of the different eras, all the colour had to change. Um, so I could do that really quickly and be able to flip around from one angle to another. Like when we were behind Elvis, I did spin the light round so the follow spot was stronger mm. and the light on his back was dimmed down. And I could do that really instead of guys getting up in ladders and changing gels and stuff, I could do it on a dimmer board. So there, there, that was, I think that's what I'm most proud of, that that sequence in the movie because it was my biggest challenge when I very first read the script and I now I'm really proud of it and go, well, yeah, hey, we did it. And we did it ourselves. You know, we didn't bring in other people to light it or, or um, to set it up. We, we did it. Is it a burden for you? working on a project like Elvis where there is so much out there. There's so much reference. Everybody kind of has an impression of Elvis, whether they lived through it when he was active or they just hear about it. So is that a burden or is that a blessing to have so much to reference? I think um, for me it was both because 
as you say, everybody's going to go online and watch that footage afterwards and they're going to be judging what we did and and my work and everything and and um so it was it was I was always very cognizant of that um but proud that we did do it so I think um it was both it, it was really both it was exciting but it was like I would you know be watching it and making sure that everything was exact you know I had the footage with me in our rehearsals of the original footage and making sure that we were on the right angle and the zoom zoomed in at the right time and someone was on the crane and the crane rose up at the exact moment that it did in that footage. So, yeah, it, it was fun. It was a fun experience to do. It wasn't daunting. I, I enjoyed the challenge and, and the moment. We always get a lot of questions from our audience, and this interview is no exception, about filters. People always want to know if there is any sort of filtration being done. Uh, people are always interested in what's done in camera versus like something that you do later on in post. They're interested in that too. But um, And we had a bunch of questions from people asking about your choice and your use of filters in Elvis. Did you use any? And can you, if so, can you clue us into some of those choices? Uh -huh. um, I, uh, I forgot to add that we had a Petsfile lens as well. Hmm which is a, a, a lens that's it's based on um, a projector lens from the 1800s, the late 1800s, and I had Dan build two of them, one of 58mm and an 85mm, and it's the lens that we used when uh, in the dream sequences and some of the flashbacks of Elvis in moments where he was the drug-induced moments where he collapses in the corridor. And what it does is it creates, like, the edges are really out of focus and the only thing focuses is the centre of the frame and it's quite distorted. And for me it created like a vortex feeling, mm. you know, that of a tunnel. And, um, and I used it quite a lot in the film uh, in those sequences. But I didn't use filtration. What I did was I got the lenses to have the feeling and the... And the whether they were a little bit, um, they were, for instance, the the Sphero sixty fives were detuned to not be super sharp and crisp, to have a little bit of sort of um, painterly feel to them because I can't say soft because they're not soft, like they're in focus, but they have a kind of creamy texture to them. And the same with the anamorphics. When I put all the aberrations back in, it gives them more of a vintage feel. So I did that in the lenses. I didn't do it in filters. And the the mo occasionally with VFX I had to do the for instance there's a shot where um the colonel's going through the the um the the poker machines, you know, in, in the in the hotel downstairs in the hotel in the gambling area. And we had one long line and we knew that we were going to reproduce them. And for VFX, that's the situation where, because we had, he was standing on the carpet and the carpet was in shot, is I would shoot that shot with the pets file and then they would make me do a clean version because they had to reproduce something on a background that was in camera. Mm. And so every so often I would do that and they mapped my lenses to a T so that they could reproduce that look for that shot, especially if I gave them a reference shot. And the other thing is... Um, you know, some of the footage uh, that was uh, our matching archival footage 
Uh, we used live grain in post, which adds a grain a texture to the image, whether it's replicating film grain or sometimes we went even further and um, just added a texture that put it into a vintage look again. Uh, and we did test those pretty extensively in, in, in pre, so I knew when they were coming. Um, and I just think that nowadays we have so much more flexibility. But the other thing I just want to say too, and this is credit to the art department and, you know, to, to Catherine Martin and Karen Murphy, they built as much set in camera as possible. So there would be maybe a blue screen extension out of the window, but there was always four walls and there were ceilings and, um, you know, there was always as much in-camera elements as we possibly could have. And even at Graceland we had a, a painted backdrop outside. We didn't have blue screen. We had a painted backdrop of the, the outside of, of, of um, Graceland and the, the grounds and the gardens. Um, and then we would have blue screen windows, for instance, in the Vegas um, hotel room because Las Vegas in the 70s looks nothing like Las Vegas now. So as much as we could, we shot in camera and, and then added and, and, and um, enhanced in, in VFX. But no filters on the camera besides NDs, if I had to use NDs, but no um, effects filters. I want to speak, um, sort of round out our conversation uh, mm-hmm. about the final scene of the film. <clears throat> well, the final performance of the film, the Unchained Melody performance. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier in this interview that you, in all the performancing, you were adding some context. You were adding some like storyline um, uh, while the performance is going on. Mm-hmm. And with Unchained Melody, that seems like the one that didn't. It it was so true to the moment. It. Mm-hmm felt and looked like it was shot on a completely different camera. Uh, Elvis looked different. It was the first time we really kind of saw that, you know, overweight Elvis that everybody sort of associates with his whole time in Vegas, which really wasn't true. Um, And I think it was the first time you as, you know, as the creative team that made the film and the audience got a chance to just watch the performance. Like there's no dancing, there's no moving, you just watch it. And having it be at the end, obviously makes sense. It was his last performance, but you don't need to have the context in the cinematography because you just watched two hours of context. So tell me about that choice and how you, how you really achieved that. I feel like it was a lesson in restraint and I'd love to hear your thought on that. Yeah, that that's exactly what it was. And I know that some people say to me, I had to go back and watch it twice because I didn't realise when it went from Austin to Elvis, Mm. the real Elvis. And the other thing that we did in that sequence is a lot of the shots in the audience are archival footage. Mm. Um, So that was a real blend of archival and us. But that that moment was something that I know Baz did with um, with, uh, uh, John Redmond, the editor, before we even started shooting, they had had the idea of having that sequence like that. And it's a really good, um, again, it's it's a full stop to the movie and it's a moment where um, it's only about that moment and it was his last performance and it's all about this. It's all about his face. It's all about how he was sick, he could barely stand, but he belted out that song so brilliantly and that was 
what you want the audience to see and hear. You know that 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 emotion of that moment is is something you don't want to distract anybody from, and that's that's why we were very restrained. He's literally crying out for help in that song. Yeah. It's yeah. it's wild. It is wild, and his voice is amazing. You know, and he he died like a couple of weeks after that concert. It's it's really incredible. So he wasn't very well, um, but he wanted, and you see, you know, when he smiles at the audience. He's still loving that performance. He's loving that he's entertaining them, and the the girls are still going crazy in the, you know, and um, even though he's like, you know, at, at the end, as you're saying, he was really overweight and he didn't look great, but they still loved him, and um, that that was. I, I still get really moved by that scene myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I know I remember my camera operators crying when we were shooting that. And it's because you know it's the end too, you know, and, and um, I did, yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm glad you say it because I find it is a really moving scene for me too. I started crying in the plane. My husband's yeah. like, what, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, the Elvis movie. He goes, you don't even listen to it. You, you don't care about Elvis. I'm like, well, I do now. And now I'm obsessed with him and I had to find every performance that I could. But I'm like, you don't understand. Um <laughs> but uh, it, it, it was just, the movie's unbelievable. Like, obviously, everyone knows your work on the film is incredible. Um, the Oscar nomination, obvi- I mean, come on. Like, it, that, it, it's, I'm sure it was a, an incredible surprise. But the work is so good that you just must feel so accomplished and you're deserving of all the accolades. And I'm just so happy for you and happy for all the filmmakers. What a great, what a great film to put out there for the world to see. Thank you, Ben. And, you know, it is. It, I'm really proud that also it's a film that audiences love. Yeah. You know, when I was at Camera Marge, people were coming up to me and saying, I've seen it 22 times. I've seen it 30 <laughs> times. You know, they love it. And, and it is so textured and layered that you can see it more than once and pick up other things. Because there's real Elvis in there somewhere in some of those montages, you know, and you sort of sometimes can miss that or... Just kind of the nuances of our of our storytelling. I feel like you do need to see it more than once, and so now you can watch it again. Um, it, it, yeah, and and yeah, exactly. I, look, I just love it that people love the film, and and that we've made a film that's entertaining and and that's respectful of him and his family, and and the family love the movie, and you know, it's it's just a great accomplishment in my life, really. And you get to film Tom Hanks as a villain. I mean, I come on. Tom Hanks, he's the nicest guy. I have to say, he's just such a nice person. Yeah, and he got to play the villain. <laughs> as well as Austin. I mean, how amazing is Austin? Like Incredible. It was a, such a pleasure to work with him and also a very, you know, beautiful person who was so accommodating and a team player and it was just such an amazing experience. Well, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Uh, I'm finishing off um, Snow White. I'm doing live-action Snow White with Disney, Mark Webb directing, and uh, we're nearly done on that. And um, and then I'm enjoying this this awards season. I'm going to all the events and, you know, wearing beautiful outfits and and enjoying all that part of it, you know, the excitement of it and and the accolades. And and then I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to decide. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic, and we'd love to have you back to talk about it. So thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. 
All right, I want to thank Mandy Walker, the director of photography of Elvis, for coming on the show today. Um, you know, good luck to you, Mandy, in your Oscar nomination. You are well-deserving, and I am rooting for you, of course. I'm also rooting for Connor Crosby. Why? Because he produces our show, and he makes it so goddamn good. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where you can not only hear the show, but see the show. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. Of course, if you want to follow me and all the things I'm doing with the show, with my production company, with my band, Three Second Chances, you can find me at Ben Consoli, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I, on Instagram. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next time on Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.